Welcome to The Deciders with Renee Frazier. This is Renee Frazier. I'm the founder and CEO of Frazier Communications. We're the leading woman-owned and woman-led advertising communications firm in Southern California. On our show, The Deciders, we feature leaders, change agents, people who share their stories and insights. And these are designed to help you grow your business, as well as consider how to have a bigger impact on the world and your community. On The Deciders, we often explore how we can help women advance into greater leadership roles. We also like to interview entrepreneurs to learn what are the challenges they faced? What was the secret to their success so we can be inspired by them? Today, we are fortunate to talk to one of the top women entrepreneurs in the world. She's the founder, chair, and CEO of Indigo Books and Music. Indigo Books and Music, which is the largest book retailer in Canada. She also created the Indigo Love of Reading Foundation, which is dedicated to enriching and in supplying the libraries of under-resourced public schools. And if all that isn't enough, we recently interviewed her as a co-author of a wonderful book called Imagine It, a handbook for a happier planet. It's a very helpful guide for conservation and understanding climate change. Great for families. Heather Reisman, I truly appreciate your being here. Your accomplishments are so varied, including your documentary films, which we'll talk about later. I wanted to start with Indigo Books. As you know, we like to focus on women who run and start great businesses and the balance in life that they achieve. You managed to raise four great kids and build a large business. Did you start small and build the business? Tell me a little more about the uh, the way you got started and the the success you've had with Indigo Books. So, um Indigo is the largest bookseller in Canada. We are now uh, involved in more than just books, but yes, we are the largest bookseller and books is and always will be at the heart of the business. Um, But, you know, an interesting thing I can share with you, Renee, is um, Indigo, I didn't start Indigo until I was 49. Oh, my. Um, And so I had built two businesses before that. But I say about Indigo that it was both... um, my destiny, a little bit destiny and a little, little bit serendipity. So I've always been an entrepreneur, built two businesses, successful businesses before Indigo. Um, Indigo is now by far uh, the leading bookseller in Canada. Um, and so there's so much to the story. But the, the thing I would just say to begin with is um, this business, I didn't start till I was 49. I love it. I mean, uh, what caused you to start the business? What was the inspiration? Were you solving a problem? Was it a serendipitous opportunity? Tell us about that first so, starting. I will just say say uh, quickly, um, as I mentioned a moment ago, part destiny, part serendipity. Um, I spent the first uh, 20 years of my career, I founded and led a strategic change firm. And then I was recruited to be the president of one of our clients. And I felt ready to put into action things I had been um, espousing and and. Uh, supporting leaders on for so long. The business I went to, um, I had an amazing experience, but at the end of the day, I am an entrepreneur at heart. So as president, I was the number two person. And while I admired the business, I wasn't passionate about the product as I had been about the strategic change work. And so I left it not knowing what I was going to do. And actually for a couple of months was in 
kind of a funk, like all my life I had been in businesses and running businesses. And um, a lucky thing happened. I was approached by um, uh, a colleague of mine with whom I, uh, who I sit on a board with. And he said that Borders wanted to come to Canada, but they needed a Canadian partner. And I said, wow, you know, books are my dream. I have loved books since I was a kid. I learned to read very young. I've never passed the bookstore without dropping in. Anyway, to make a long story short, the transaction with Borders in the end didn't go through. And so I decided I will do that. Um, wow. What was kind of fun about that is I was, uh, you know, this, this, you know, I had this dream about the kind of environment I would create for book lovers. And Borders was this huge company. And many, many, many years later, um, I was approached to see whether I would like to acquire Borders, which in the end didn't make it through the chain. You know? yeah. yeah. So, so I, I, I would say it's, it's a business I love. Um, yeah, it's a business I love. It's great. I think pa follow your passion, right, is one of the themes I hear repeatedly. Uh, but I think the other thing is nice is admitting you're in a funk, right? Some of us get in those phases and you feel like nothing good is going to come, but serendipity does occur and opportunity comes. Now, what made you take it beyond books to other products? Was that an insight you had? How did you realize that you had to expand and make it probably more of a destination? So such a great question. Um, such a great question, a great question. I never thought of us as a bookstore. I thought of us as an environment for book lovers. I always ah. focused on the customer. And um, it was that focus on the customer that led us to understand that we had an opportunity to do more than just books. And that's been a whole uh, wonderful adventure. We are now the largest specialty kids um, book and uh, not only toy, but educational uh, products business. Uh, we just recently launched a baby business. Um, and in our core Indigo, we have explored a couple of key verticals in the areas where we sell books. So we sell cookbooks. And so we're doing a lot around joy of the table. We sell a lot it. on health and wellness. And so we're really going to be expanding what we do in that business and so on. So it, it, it all centered on the customer and what they would give us permission to do with them and right. what we ourselves felt passionate about. So, you know, I love that. That's tapping into the customer's lifestyle, their needs, and exactly. being truly customer centric. Uh, you know, I referenced the fact that you wrote the book, co wrote it with uh, uh, Lori David, the uh, Imagine It. And I remember you talked about it as a book that could be brought out of the dinner table or a chapter could be read or discussed. That notion of understanding kind of the lifestyle of the individual and then suiting products to their needs makes so much sense. Uh, let me ask, I'm going to move on to the foundation, but before I do, what is one challenge you had to face that was probably the toughest when you were building any of the businesses you've, bit, you've built? Challenge one. you had to face. One, one major one. one. Yeah, there I are thousands. There are thousands of challenges. But I think, you know, the most fundamental one, and it affected many people in our industry, was the role, and, and you're going to hear this over and over, I'm sure, with people that you that you talk to, was the role that Amazon played and continues mm. to play in that, in that we are the only business I know of where uh, Amazon 
to, to launch their business and to continue to propel it in the early years, made the decision that they would sell books online at cost, basically at cost. Oh. So, um, of course, our customers want to shop online and we built a digital uh, book business. Uh, but that meant that we had to and still do have to sell our core product online at just about no margin. So that has been a huge economic challenge. And it's also what propelled us to look at additional things we could do, because we know from the point of view of our customer, they have to be able to reach us any way they want. If they want right. to shop online, we have to serve them online and we have no choice but to be price competitive um, in that core product. So that, that, the economics of that have been challenging, but they forced us to innovate and to do things. And so um, as often happens, and I'm sure you know, Renee, uh, that um, what often happens is uh, serious problems become the impetus. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and the innovation obviously uh, was very successful. Now, speaking of success, I know that you three businesses, at least that you've uh, been able to you've developed. Uh, I, I you know Indigo Books is the largest uh, bookseller in the in Canada, which is quite an amazing feat. What made you decide to start a foundation? Uh, as you were developing your business and, and talk a little bit about why you focused on books again and reading for children. Okay. So you're talking about the Indigo Love of Reading Foundation. So a principle of Indigo since the beginning um, was and remains that we have a responsibility to give back to the communities in which we operate. Um, and we were from the beginning uh, inclined to do things in as they came up. And then again, serendipity, one day I got a call from my local uh, political representative asking whether I would donate some books to a school in a high needs area because their library had almost no books. And I don't know, it must have been a quiet day at work. Or I thought, well, why don't I just go over there? It wasn't that far from where my office uh, is. Uh, why don't I just go over there? And I did. I went to visit this school. And it's in the middle of downtown Toronto and Toronto, you know, I don't know how many of your listeners know about Toronto. That's Canada. It's a highly prosperous city, the largest in the country. And here in this downtown school, I went into the kids library and I was stunned. I was stunned. The library wasn't large, but the shelves were three quarters empty. Uh. And the books that were there were, you know, torn and tattered and I thought, I can't believe this. I can't believe it. Anyway, okay. we invited the principal and her librarian. They actually had a, a, a part-time teacher librarian. We invited them to Indigo and we told them that they should just go shopping. Uh. And they could shop for as long as they wanted and anything they put in their basket, they could have. They decided to take some kids with them from each grade. Uh. And it was so heartwarming. It was uh. unbelievable. The kids would pick a book up and they'd say, oh, do you think this one will be liked by other? Anyway, long story short, we learned that in about a third of the schools across Canada, the libraries are just about in this shape. And uh, that led to our establishing the foundation, to doing a lot of research into this area. Um, and since that time, I'm, I have to say I'm really proud of the fact that um, between us and some, some fundraising that we do with our customers, 
we've contributed over $30 million to high need schools in Canada. So, yeah. And, wow. And I believe that there are over 3,000 elementary school libraries that you've actually donated to. 3,000. Yes. Oh, yes. my goodness. Yes. Talk about and that, it. Yeah. And, and as you know, because you're interested in this subject, um, there is a window when kids can learn their best to read. And it is kindergarten to grade four. Yes. You need to be richly inspiring them. Um, and yeah, and, and as you know, we made a little documentary about this. And I think some of your team have watched it. It's, yeah. it's I, I don't know in all my years in business, and I'm now 72, um, I don't know of any investment that would have greater leverage than investing in preschool and uh, elementary school reading and libraries. Oh, so well said, Heather. Uh, we do that talk, read, sing campaign across the state of California. And the data is so clear that if you talk and read and sing to your children, you stimulate their brains, you make them better prepared, they increase for reading, the love of reading, and that increases their vocabulary. So we're, we're right on the same track. They're very aligned. I'm going to ask a little bit of a selfish business question. Do you think the foundation work and the efforts you've done have also strengthened your brand and helped your business? Well, we didn't do it for that, but I will say this. Um, we survey employee engagement every year and our engagement and there, because all the employees participate, every store gets to participate in local areas and, and it always comes up as one of the things people love most about Indigo. So I know it matters to our employees. And because we do things with our customers, uh, as I say, we didn't do it for that reason. We did it because it is who we are. Um, but, uh, and I would say that, I would say that any effort needs to come from the heart of the people who run the business to have integrity point very right. good point. I, I would i would never say someone should do it for their brand they should do it because you're right important. you're absolutely right it has to be authentic but i think it also says a lot about a brand when they mm -hmm. put their money into an effort like that you also have the initiative called buy a book change a life let's talk about that um so well that's just one of the programs under the indigo love of reading foundation um and we run it a couple of times a year where uh, we do a special uh, opportunity for people, our customers to buy books at a lower price. And then we encourage them to buy one for themselves and one for others. So I think that's a wonderful program, you know, buying a book. It, it's obviously like the Tom's model, right? Where you buy shoes and they go also to a, another pair of shoes. And right. and you think of the, um, the luckiness of our, our circumstances, right? The, the quality of our lives. Nothing wrong with buying something and then knowing that someone in need will also get one of those. And I, I think that's wonderful that you do that. You know, speaking of having an impact, uh, video and film are amazing ways, of course, of changing people's lives. And the, uh, uh, the foundation I know, the Indigo Love of Reading Foundation created Read Between the Lines about the importance of early literacy, which is a wonderful documentary. You've co-executive produced a number of others. Uh, talk about that and why you've done that. What was your, what's the passion or the thinking behind it? You know, I think it's, it's all part of the, it's all, uh, Part of the same uh, inner passion I have for storytelling. 
Well, Heather is sponsoring programs to help improve child literacy in Canada, but I want to make sure people know that we also want to highlight programs in California. Uh, many of our listeners know that we work on First Five California, and my agency, Fraser Communications, came up with and implemented the Chalk, Read, Sing campaign for First Five. And it's all about how it changes everything. But that is really a program statewide to encourage parents to talk and read for brain development since the brain is developing at such a rapid pace from birth onward. And you can have a major influence on your children in the first 100 days. But independent of that, I want to talk about the change that's happening right here in Santa Monica. Uh, the Santa Monica Early Childhood Lab School is a remarkable place, and they've been highlighting creative learning for entrance to the age of toddlers. I'm going to welcome on the show Pauline McPeak. She's the executive director of three places called the Growing Place campuses in Santa Monica. Pauline, welcome. And please tell us about the Santa Monica Early Childhood Lab School and how that relates to the growing place. Sure. Thank you, Renee. I'm happy to be here. Um, the Santa Monica Early Childhood Lab School is the most recent center that the growing place is operating in Santa Monica for your young children, infants, toddlers through preschoolers. Um, we really cater to full time working parents. Um, back in 1985, when we were established, uh, more women were entering the workforce and dual parents were the thing. Uh, they are the thing today, too. And so we find that full time working parents um, are interested in also, you know, having high quality for their children. And that's a service that we provide here in Santa Monica. I love it. It's, so it's child care and education, right, mm -hmm. for uh, for working families. And, you know, that can also be expensive. Uh, you start very early, right? You're able to take young children even as early as three months, I understand. That's right. We have young and very young children. So we have a unique partnership here in Santa Monica. Um, we have a grant that receive, we receive from the city of Santa Monica to help provide spaces for this age group. As you can understand, it's very um, expensive because the ratio is a one to three when you're working with such young children. But in addition to that, we've grown our partnership with the city of Santa Monica and within the city to expand now to Santa Monica College. So that is the Santa Monica Early Childhood Lab School. It's really a demonstration site for emerging teachers who enrolled in their education program at Santa Monica College. Um, they come here, the Santa Monica College students, and they will see teacher-child interactions, high-quality teacher-child interactions, and see essentially what childcare, high-quality, what it looks like in practice. So they're, they're learning the theory in the classroom, and then they'll see it here in practice, so bridging theory into practice. It's so important. You know, when I talk with young people coming out of school, that's their biggest complaint. I teach uh, often at USC. And it's like, well, I want, what am I really going to do? I understand the theory, but how does it apply? And I think in the classroom, it's so important. I got to visit the school and I have to say it's got it's light and bright and uh, it's clearly you're emphasizing creativity and stimulation. Talk about some of the ways you do that, both in the facility and, and what the teachers do. 
Yeah, absolutely. So um, with that, it's a lot of kinds of materials that are um, for children to explore, but also to use as a way to tell their story. Um, so oftentimes, you know, we as women who generally dominate the field of education, especially mm -hmm. early childhood education, we're very verbal people, um, but not every child is, um, you know, follows in those footsteps. And so we want to give children a multiple, multiple ways of telling their story, whether it's through clay or paint or um, drawing or or even wire, you know, and, and we are block building, you know, maybe they want to represent how they move through a city, um, through the block space. And so a lot of beautiful, wonderful materials for young children to manipulate, um, to learn about objects and how they fit together or parts to the whole, you know, our teachers really embed a lot of the mathematics, science and language and literacy into the daily uh, interactions uh, that children are having in the program. A big difference, too, in the school and the curriculum, I think, is the emphasis on development of kids' social skills. And uh, tell us about why that's important and, and where that plays a role in the, and how the teachers interact with the children. I couldn't think of a better time where civic engagement and community and social skills are more important. Um, so from the very beginning, you know, we even try to work with our parents to help them understand that from the moment their child enters our program, they're part of a context of a group. So what does it mean to be within the context of a group? What does it mean to be in community? Um, our curriculum framework is all about who am I and who am I becoming, right? So young children join us very early and it's, you know, parents with their home base, safe base, it's it's the, who they're familiar with in their home. And then that starts to bridge out to their teachers, building relationships, and then with peers. So navigating all of that is complicated and our teachers are there to break those social skills down so that they're in smaller pieces for the children to be able to gain those experiences. Um, one of my favorite curriculum pieces that we have here at The Growing Place is talking chairs. So uh, it is not a timeout. Let me stress, it is That's not timeout. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is a place where um, children will come and sit together and have a conversation about, you know, I didn't really like it when you took my truck. Uh, and, and we can navigate the conversations. We want children to have these conversations to face, um, you know, some children may shy away from a conversation like that. Some children are really happy to have that conversation and engage right. in discourse with their right. peers. Um, and so talking chairs are just a, a, a beautiful way to model that we can take a deep breath, self-regulate, come together, have a conversation, and then propose different ideas and solutions. So I look at it as solution seeking. Uh, sometimes adults put their own perspectives on what should be the solution here in this situation in terms of sharing or not sharing, but it's really great to see what the children come up with as well. You know, I think it's so important. I've learned from my daughter, who's a, a school psychologist, uh, that allowing children to express what they feel and label it mm -hmm. is so important. You feel frustrated. Talk about why you feel frustrated. What happened? And you're right. Say to the other child, I feel frustrated because you wouldn't let me have my turn with the truck or what it may be. Right. And so you're saying in this case, rather than just saying, that's wrong. You're not allowed to do that to children. You're not supposed to kick or push, right, or bite. Uh, you, you can, I'm sure you have to say, we don't like that. You're not supposed to do it. But at the same time, you allow them to talk about why they felt that way. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Narrating your feelings, um, you know, having children have labels to their feelings and moving beyond the mad and sad. But to your point, you know, more sophisticated, we call it an emotional vocabulary, helping children uh, build an emotional vocabulary. And another way that we do that is through the literacy. Right. So we want to make sure that our teachers have books in the classroom throughout the center that also help to expand children's emotional vocabulary um, that we use persona dolls and books so that the children themselves are not always the example. Sometimes the examples are in a book, right? So the character in the book didn't like it when he got yelled at by his friend. I, I love that. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of Bernstein Bears for that. Yeah. <laughs> they often will have examples of selfishness or disappointment and, uh, and the dad is usually the foil, but it gives you a, a forum, right? To talk about the feelings and now that you mentioned books, I, I recently made a donation of books to Growing Place, and I know that uh, you need other resources like that. So let's talk about how people can help the Growing Place and what they might be able to donate. Thank you so much. Yes, we're a nonprofit organization, um, at Child Development Center here in Santa Monica. And so we are delighted. We are so happy to receive support from our community members. Um, gently used books are always very, very welcome from, you know, board books, soft books uh, to picture books and even resource books. We had a family donate wonderful uh, coffee table books. We use them next to the easel. There was a beautiful Georgia O'Keeffe and the color palette just... You, Lots of things. So if you want to get in touch with Growing Place, uh, growingplace.org is our website. We're happy to receive donations, uh, toys, and things that really children can um, bring their use to bring their play to life. And, and, and donations of money, because talk about how the money gets used as scholarships. Yes, our, we have a very um, robust tuition assistance program. We um, subsidize at least 15% of our families are on tuition assistance um, or full tuition remission at all our campuses. And so we really would appreciate and, and it's our way of having a diverse community, socioeconomically diverse and otherwise. Um, and so children can see windows and mirrors. You know, we want children to see a reflection of themselves in their community as well as see other kinds of families um, to uh, in their classroom community as well. Well, thank you very much for talking with us about the, uh, the growing place. And I, I love the work that you're doing. I really admire it. I, and I think you're right about books, seeing yourself in the book, seeing yourself in uh, with other children. The experience being there was great. It was full of light and creativity. And I want to come back when the kids are in school. But I want to thank you, uh, Pauline, for being on the show, telling us about the growing place and the Santa Monica Early Childhood Lab School. Thank you, folks, for listening to our show. You know you can hear this and podcasts of all of our other shows. You can find them on our website at FraserCommunications.com. Fraser is a full-service advertising and marketing firm doing well by doing good. Please feel free to contact us at the website as well, FraserCommunications.com. Thank you for listening. Hope you have a wonderful week ahead. Stay safe. Please get vaccinated. And we'll hear you or we'll see you next week back on The Deciders with Renee Frazier.